Stand with me for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Today we'll be reading Acts 1, uh, Acts chapter 1, um, 6 to 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is God's word. Please remain standing with me and join me in prayer. Father, we pray for Pastor Kyle. We pray that you will use him greatly today that the words he speaks to us are your words, words that you want us to hear today, Lord. We pray that our ears are open, our minds are focused, and that our hearts are prepared for the gift of your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. So good to see everybody this morning. God bless you. Um, I wanted to say really quickly, that it is my stepmom's birthday tomorrow, right, Sharon? So we can all embarrass her and maybe sing happy birthday to her after church or something. But um, happy birthday, Sharon. I wanted to say, too, this is um, much more bleak and sad news. But some of you may have heard, uh, uh, some of us have, have a similar background, just kind of years of being Christians together and serving God together. But um, so we, some, we know a lot of the same people from our past and stuff. But... Neil Tozer passed away. For those of you who might have not have known, um, I believe it was on Thursday, Friday, Friday. Um, it was unexpected. Uh, he, I, I believe, he suffered with epilepsy throughout his life, seizures. Yeah, and he had one um, that, like normal, and he, I think, went to rest it off, right, and passed away in his sleep. So it's a very difficult time for the Tozer family. M many of you know them. So I just wanted to take a moment of time for us to just kind of pray for them collectively. Um, I'll open in prayer, and then we can let two or three more people pray for the family. And if we could do that, and just whoever might want to pray for them, okay? God, we come to you in times of great mystery, in times of sorrow and heartache. And we ask you now, Lord, in this time of heartache, for your favor. That you would bless the Tozer family and their friends. Those who are suffering from an unexpected loss of a saint who we love dearly. God, who now lives in unapproachable light. Where your love reigns supreme. God, would you give comfort to the families? family and friends of those effective, affected and those grieving in Christ's name.
Thank you. Um, I believe that the wake is going to be, what, what did you tell me, Andy, Tuesday? South Main Street of Fall River. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. And then the funeral's Wednesday morning at Grace Gospel, I would assume. It starts at the funeral home, then goes, okay. All right. Yeah. So, and you can look it up online. I'll try to post it on our website too, um, sometime today. So, if anyone wants to go and support the family, <clears throat> um, yeah. So, thank you for your prayers for them. Um, continue to labor in prayer as they they grieve the loss of someone they love dearly. I wanted to remind you all. Craig mentioned this already, but um, about our upcoming anniversary party next week on the twenty fourth. Just a little bit about it. It's a special time to thank you all just for your hard work this past year. Uh, our anniversary is coming up. It's the 25th. I think our first Sunday service was the 25th, which is the Monday after next Sunday. But we're going to celebrate it on the 24th. So that was an exciting time. Many of you, uh, many of you were with us when we, when we started meeting um, for our church service. and We were in East Providence at St. Angelo's Restaurant. So that was a lot of fun. But um, the party that we're going to have, it's, uh, it's going to be actually during the service. So we're going to have tables all set up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're not going to have children's ministry that day, too, either. By the way, we want everyone to participate. And um, it's going to be a very good time. Um, for moderately informal, too. So um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a good time. We're, we're supplying the food. So we're gonna, during the service, we're going to have some songs and music and um, a, a short sermon, a, you know, reflect on the year behind. Then we're going to break for lunch that we're going to provide for you. 
and um, then we'll continue. It should go to about 12:30, and it's free, by the way. So, <laughs> so we're doing this to remember the the year past and to remind ourselves of just of the vision ahead. Um, Morgan asked me if I could remind you just some of the details about this before I preached. Uh, sometimes there's a, something I need to say before I start my sermon, and I try not to do this too much because I don't want to interrupt this, the, the, the reading of the scripture with the sermon itself, because by the time I start preaching, I might forget what was even read. So I, I try not to do this too much, but this time I actually thought that this announcement was relevant to where we're going in scripture. So I put it right in my introduction. You see my notes, right? Introduction, it's right there. Usually, if I ever do an announcement before I preach, usually it's above the introduction, but it's right in the introduction this time. Now, I, I decided um, through some prayer to introduce a new sermon series that I'm calling You Shall Be My Witness. And it's the mission of the local church, a study through the book of Acts. Now, um, it's, so it's my intention to teach through the book of Acts. I might not go verse by verse. Um, I'm going to try to get through it relatively quickly, not to rush it, but just to get to o- the overall big picture of the story of Acts. But it's my intention to teach through the book of Acts. The book of Acts records for us the early church living out the mission that Christ has given to the church. If you didn't know that this morning, if you're a Christian, God has given you a mission in your faith. So what did they do? How many people have ever read the book of Acts? So you know that there's some pretty powerful stuff that go on in there. But what, what did they do? What were their activities? Where was their power source? How did they accomplish so much in such a short period of time. They probably, we, the, the, the church probably grew more in that period of time, in that 60 years of apostolic preaching, than it ever has since in the past 2,000 years of church history. How do they pull that off? So what's this have to do with my annou- announcing a party that I included in my introduction? <laughs> well, much of what we're going to discuss next week has exactly to do with where we want to go as a church in 2016 and beyond. What makes us tick? What's our mission? As a matter of fact, a lot of of the time that Joe and Morgan and myself have been spending when we meet are answering just those questions. What's our mission, mission? What's our vision for our church? For Refuge Church. The greater question, I think this is kind of where my mind goes at least, is, and I don't think we can ignore this, what's the vision and mission for God's people? Because if we're God's people, it doesn't matter where we are in the world, there's got to be something in common, some kind of vision, some kind of hope that we have in common, that we share in common, that we prioritize. Tomorrow we celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Did you know that? He had a vision, remember, a dream. And his dream was for freedom, for liberation, for equal rights. He had a grand vision of people who weren't prejudiced, that lived together in friendship and love, right? That was his vision. That's what he dreamed of. But he had a mission. A mission's a little bit different. A mission's sort of like, how do we pull that off? His mission was to allow all people the right to vote. So he lobbied for that. He went after that as hard as he could, right? The book of Acts basically, is the mission of God realized and acted out by God's people. What does it look like when God's people actually say yes to his vision and to his mission? Right? 
That's what the book of Acts is about. It's a record of the works of the apostles and the early church through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself. And it's the history of the application of the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and to make disciples of men, right? Now, I actually thought about teaching through the book of Acts when we were in East Providence. But I'm going to be honest with you, I chickened out. (laughs) Because it's very long. And I don't know that I've ever taught a verse from Acts in my life. So it was intimidating. But here we go. (laughs) This morning we're going to brave some new territory together. Now I've read the books of Acts, I've I've studied the book of Acts, and I've gone to to school and stuff, but I've never actually had to teach it. So we're going to brave some new territory today. Amen? Amen. The big picture of Acts is summarized for us in one verse. This is the theme verse. You can mark this down if you're taking notes, and it's in verse 8. We read it already. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is Jesus Christ talking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He has been crucified, resurrected, and he's leaving um, the church with a command. You shall be my witnesses, it says, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus commissions his disciples in the Gospels. In Matthew 28, you recall, it's, this, it's a similar commission, it's the same commission, to go into all the world to make disciples of men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now this is the same as Acts 1.8, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. This is getting more specific with the geography of things, though. So the book of Acts records for us how the early church, and in particular, how the apostles such as Paul and Peter, different characters of scripture, were obedient to that command. Jesus Christ is gone now. He issues them with a command, with a mission, and they go out and they obey that commission. Now a wise student of scripture once wrote, and an old teacher of mine once wrote, this is Morgan Creaney, Acts has it all. Supernatural intervention, astounding miracles, powerful preaching, breathtaking escapes, harrowing journeys, life and death decisions, courtroom dramas, thrilling rescues, action, mystery, and adventure. You thought you liked Lord of the Rings. Acts will grab your attention, trigger your imagination, tug your emotions. It's a terrific story, and the best part of all, it's true. It's a true story. If you didn't know, Lord of the Rings is not a true story. I'm sorry. There is no Middle Earth. In addition, Acts gives us, the people of God, 2,000 years later, a glimpse of what the church can do. A glimpse of the mission that continues today for every single person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what can happen at any moment that the church goes out with the Holy Spirit. On its pages, the book of Acts we see the church's witness is like a basic outline of the book of Acts. The church's witness in Jerusalem, and that's chapters 1 through 6. The church's witness in Judea and Sumeria, Samaria, that's chapters 6 through 9. And then the church's witness to the ends of the earth, Acts chapters 9 through 28. So there's a very, very clear breakup in the witness of the church. So that verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8 is actually setting up for us an outline of the book to follow. It's in these three great sections of witness that we, uh, that we see the amazing power of God in the ministries of Paul and Peter and more. I hope that you read this book together with me. 
I often send out emails and post on our public sites what we're going to be in next week. I hope that you find those and that you read the scripture and meditate on those scriptures. We approach this record, this history of the work of God with humility. We're about to embark on reading a history, an account of what the Holy Spirit of God can do through our local people. And we want to approach that with humility, friends, because it is no different. We are here in this place, in this locale in Warren, Rhode Island, for no different purpose. We want to see the Holy Spirit of God radically transform people's lives because that's what the church was meant to do. This is our Jerusalem. And friends, that can happen again today just like it happened then. Do you believe that? And friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ here this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit has sent me this morning to you as a witness to hear and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he was risen, that he, was die, he died for your sin, rose a, a new life and sits forever on his kingly throne in heaven so that you could approach him in faith and have your sins wiped away. That's the witness. That's the testimony. And friend, he didn't, friends, if you're believers in Christ, he did not just send me to this place as a witness. He sent the church. He sent all of us as a witness. So we pro- approach this with humility, with a desire to listen to God as he transforms us to live for what he lives for. To be on his mission and not our own. My hope in going through this is that we're all going to get a renewed vision for our lives, for our own personal lives, for what we live for and for what the mission of God is for this church in particular. What drives you, friend? What do you live for? What kind of Christians are we? Is our passion, is our mission food, right? Exercise, entertainment, family, etc.? And maybe as Christians, we kind of thumbs up. We say, you know, I know the mission of God in Christ. That's great. You know, I support it. And I even give some money to the church for that. But it's just not really what I do. Something, you might not even say that out loud. But the reality is the things that make us come alive, the things that we live for, that we're driven to accomplish, have nothing to do with those things. And we need a renewal. We need a, a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit to see what it is that we should be living for. Amen? It's not that we can't enjoy nutrition or exercise or entertainment. I like the Lord of the Rings too. And I won't judge you if you're watching the movie. But friends, there, is more, there are more important things to that. And we'll get to that in a moment. Let me get ahead of myself here. I hope as we turn the pages of Acts that we see ourselves in its characters. That we see ourselves in Peter and Paul. And the amazing things that the Lord did through these men how the church grew and how people's lives were transformed. So let's turn our hearts to the mission stated in verses 1 through 11. We have in verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 1 a rehearsal of previous efforts and events that serve as the motivation for the record of the Acts of the Apostles. And it's in verses 1 through 3. Luke, the the writer, is rehearsing something in verses 1 through 3, and he says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. Underline that word proofs if you're a skeptic. By many proofs 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The author of the record of Acts is rehearsing with Theophilus his first work. Did you notice that? The work referred to is the Gospel of Luke. So good evidence and tradition identifies a doctor, a physician, Luke, as the author of two books of the Bible, two works. They're actually companions. They go together. Oftentimes people call them Luke-Acts because it's part two of the part one. Acts is part two. He's a, he's a, so Luke is the author of a two-part series. The first part is the life of Christ, the Gospel of Luke, and the second part is, part is the book of Acts, the life of the church, the life of the Holy Spirit through the church. So Luke Acts is a two-volume work by Dr. Luke, who is, by the way, considered one of the finest historians of his day, even by secular scholars. He's often considered superior if any of you know anything about ancient history, he's superior to Tacitus, Herodotus, and Josephus, the, the finest and most respected historians um, of, of, of the ancient world. Dr. Luke reminds us that his previous work, the Gospel of Luke, concerned the words and works of Christ, his resurrection, his commands to the, to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles. That's the Gospel of Luke. He says that this resurrected Christ appeared to his disciples with many proofs for 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. So after Christ resurrects from the dead, he starts appearing to his disciples and apostles, proving to them that he has indeed resurrected from the dead. Luke is writing as a historian, so he's talking about proofs. He presents himself with many proofs. And as I said, if you're a seeker or a skeptic in the crowd, Know that the writers of scripture are just as interested in what is real and true as you are. They didn't want to be following fake fairy tales and myths like anybody else. Dr. Luke reminds us that Christ, before he would ascend to heaven, issued his people a command. Did you see that? He appeared to them, given, giving them commands through the Holy Spirit. A mission to live on. Acts chapter 9, how many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul? Well, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, he was a Pharisee, and he killed Christians for a living. On his way to kill some Christians in Acts chapter 9, the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared for him, to him and quite literally knocked him off his horse. And you know what he says to the risen Lord? Lord, what do you want me to do? Much later in Paul's life, as after he was converted to faith in Christ, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, he says that I was not, quote, disobedient to the heavenly vision. I want to say that again. I want you to just kind of let that roll around in your mind. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us as Christians, as the people of God, a heavenly vision. And wouldn't it be great if we could say at the end of our lives that we were not disobedient to the heavenly vision? Now, I know for me, I've been a Christian since I was about 15. I was raised in Christianity, but really understood it when I was about 15. I know that I could make no such claim. I know the distractions, the periods of time where I've neglected the mission and outrightly scorned it with the way I was living. I couldn't make some, such claims. But today's a new day, isn't it? Today is a new day. And friends, today 
could be the first day of our lives, the rest of our lives, where we're obedient to the heavenly vision. Luke reminds us the Lord, that of the Lord's vision, the command of Christ to his people to align themselves with his mission. And what is that mission again? It's in verse 8. You shall be my witnesses, even to the ends of the earth. The command of Christ to his people to align themselves with his mission. The vision of Christ is the kingdom of God. What's, what's God's grand vision? The, God's grand vision for this earth is his kingdom come, right? Amen? His kingdom realized. The mission that we're on to realize that vision is to make disciples. To go to the ends of the earth. I, I, I remember reading, oh, what's his name? The one that wrote Crazy Love. Francis Chan. I remember um, he was talking about how a lot of times um, we memorize the mission, but we don't do the mission. We're so good at memorizing. Yeah, go into the ends of the world, make, baptizing men and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Right? We, think we, we think we're doing the job of a disciple because we memorize that verse. And he says, imagine if you had kids, right? And you tell your kids to go clean your room. And you say, go clean your room, Johnny. And they're like, okay, I'm gonna go clean. I'll, I'll go clean my room. And two hours later, the room's still not clean. And you go up, hey, Johnny, I thought I told you to clean your room. I know, and I memorized what you said. <laughs> I didn't clean my room, you're right. But I memorized what you said. You said, Johnny, go clean your room. Good job, right? Isn't that what we do so often? We memorize scripture, but we don't obey it. God, God want, look, look, we need to memorize the Bible. We're actually, I'm probably stepping on my own feet here. We're about to introduce a Bible memory thing. Um, but it's the, the reason we do that, though, is to drive us to conviction, to obey the words we memorize. Amen? Otherwise, it's nothing. So we need to know the vision of God, the, the kingdom, his kingdom come, and our mission to be disciple makers. The Great Commission to the ends of the earth. As individuals and as a church, we need to be asking the risen Christ the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you stopped to ask Jesus that question? And maybe if you haven't, you need to. Tonight, before you go to bed, or maybe even before you even get out of your seat from church this morning, you need to bow your heads and close your eyes and ask Jesus, Lord, what do you want me to do? And get busy doing it. <laughs> what follows in the book of Acts is the early church's obedience again to the command of Christ. It's a record of the powerful works of, his, of the Holy Spirit because they simply had the nerve to obey that mission and to live on that mission. And upon reminding his reader of the command of Christ's mission, he also reminds them of his further instruction, which is to rest. So rehearse. Number one, number two, rest. Rehearse and rest, verses four through five. It's okay, we love kids in this church. It doesn't distract us, we love kids. Maybe when my kids are grown up, I won't say that anymore. I don't know. <laughs> we love kids. <clears throat> and ver rest, in verses four through five, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Rehearse. He was rehearsing the works of Christ and his commands. Number two, rest. Jesus, before he ascends to heaven and commissions his, fo his followers, 
<clears throat> he tells them to go to the ends of the earth, and almost in the same breath, he says, but wait, don't do it yet. <clears throat> I mean, don't we got to always do that? Right? He tells them to wait. So I'd like to, for a moment, speak to those here that are followers of Christ. And you, and you understand the Great Commission. And you desire to live on mission in the Great Commission. But you're waiting for some reason. The command of the Great Commission for you is ultimate. Again, your desire, your before possessions, before entertainment, before relationships, is to live on the mission that Christ has put you on, but you, find, but you found yourself waiting to live on that mission. You're stalled out. And this has been my exper personal experience in life from time to time. And there's been a few reasons, for me at least, why I've waited. Before I said, okay, I'll live on, I'll live on mission when? Right? Fill in the blank. <clears throat> The first reason I find myself giving myself is that I have not realized a more specific mission, mission particular to me. Let me explain to you what I mean. I think all of us know that we all serve different roles in the body of Christ, right? That those different roles in God's grand vision of building his kingdom are different from person to person. There are similarities of it, but there are differences too. The mission to be his witness sometimes is particular to us based on our gifts and desires. We accomplish this in unique ways. Let me put it in biblical terms. Some are pastors, some are teachers, some are evangelists. All of these things, all of these functions and all the ways that God gifts us doesn't mean we're all going to be pastors and we're all going to be missionaries. We all live on the same mission, but we do it in a particular way that corresponds with our gifting. Does that make sense? <clears throat> So, if you have not yet realized or been able to serve God in the capacity you believe is specific to you, it can stall you out. For me, I always sense the call of God to be a pastor in my life, but I haven't always had that opportunity. I've had jobs, I've been in school, I haven't had this role before. And so often in my life I find myself like, well, the thing I really want to do, I'm not able to do, so I just kind of felt stalled out, right? When I do this, when I move, when I get here or there, that's really really where I want to be in my mission. So I'll just kind of like coast until I get there. <clears throat> so we wait, right? Second reason. Can you guys identify with reason number one? Okay. <clears throat> Second reason. I didn't feel worthy, right? You don't live on God's mission, you? You know what you've done in your life? You're a bum. <clears throat> Certain struggles with sin, perhaps circumstances of my life, things I was going through, just kind of made me feel undeserving of the role. The mission God had put me on, I'm the wrong guy. Get someone else. That's, you guys ever feel that one? So we wait. We wait. Until we're some kind of spiritual champ and hero, we wait. Here's the third reason I've, I've kind of felt myself waiting to live on mission, I haven't felt ready, prepared. <laughs> like, like I lacked a certain competence or aptitude to, to serve God and to live on his mission. So we wait to follow Christ. This was like Moses, right? Moses said, you want me to go to Pharaoh and I'm not the right guy, I can't speak right, you should get someone else. Right? This is what's happening. 
But those are not good reasons to wait, friends. There is only one reason that we see in this text that we are ever to wait on serving Christ in our mission, and that is not to wait till we're really good speakers or super holy. Okay? Now, I'm not trying to say that we don't strive towards holiness, because I believe that's an aspect of our ministry that's important. But what's more important than that, if you think you can be holy without this, you're being deceived, friends. Because Jesus Christ says you wait for one thing and one thing only, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Friends, it's the only thing any of us as Christians should be waiting for. It's the promise of the Father in our text, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, God himself, that is the power for ministry, as we'll see in our next point, okay? Yes, we strive for holiness. Yes, we prepare ourselves. Yes, we go after specific ways God has called us. But more ultimate, more necessary, and more foundational to achieving any of those things is the abiding presence and power of God in our lives through the Spirit of God. We can be very dumb and very powerful in the Holy Spirit's hands. Right? I only got one amen. <laughs> There's more dumb people in this room. I know. <laughs> that wasn't nice. Now, you're, you might, like me, think, well, this, this is kind of mysterious. You got to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. That's a little spooky. What does that even mean? So you might be asking that question like I asked. Like, how do you know that's happened? And what's, what's going on here? I'd like to look at just one thing I think it means. I think it means a few things. But I want to focus some time here on, on, on at least one thing that I'm convinced it means. And it's in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 tells us that there is freedom in Christ. That the freedom that Christ has, give, has given us sets us free so that we would not return to slavery, the law. Now follow this. might be kind of heady. It might be a little confusing. I hope that you understand by the time I'm done. It teaches us that the flesh goes after the law, rules, and it brings slavery. But the spirit brings freedom and life. Remember, it's the same spirit that we need for the power of ministry. The spirit brings freedom and life. The law is a set of rules that we're obligated to keep. Okay? If we keep them, we win. If we don't, we fail. If we keep the law, we're a good guy. If we're not, we're a bad guy. And, and by the way, you think, well, this is very religious. Religious people do this. They have laws. Oh, they, oh you don't? We all have laws. How many people know that you have made laws for yourself? That your body has to look a certain way for you to be worth something? That you have to have a certain amount of money in your bank account? Somewhere, some, along the line, someone gave you a list of rules that if you did them, that if you accomplished them, you'd somehow be great, right? So we all have our lists. This is not just a religious thing. This is buried in every human heart, okay? <clears throat> Scripture tells us that laws, religious or otherwise, enslave us simply because we never measure up to them. We always fail them. There's always somebody with more money or a better body. There's always some way in which we know we could have worked out that day instead of eating a cheeseburger, right? We fail. We know it. 
Scripture says if you, if you have the law and you follow the law, you are enslaved to the law. You are not free. Okay? <clears throat> By the way, some of us who struggle with sin, that's exactly the reason why we struggle with sin. Because we're trying to overcome sin in the law, in the flesh, instead of being liberated by the Spirit. The Bible says, even for the Christian, that our flesh sort of reverts to wanting to be law followers. Did you know that? That every single one of us in this room have to watch out for that tendency. And here's why I think that is. Following laws makes it so we can simply check boxes of duties... And then we get on to the things that we really want to do, right? I know, like, my religion says I need to do this, this, and this, or bad things are going to happen to me. So, okay, I'll just make sure I do those things. Once they're done, I'm done, right? I can get on to my passions and the things that I love most. I didn't sleep late. Check. Someone got it into your mind that lazy people sleep late. And you're lazy. You're a bum. You slept till nine. Wow. You're a bum. So, so we went, today, I woke up early. Check. I'm pretty great. Yes. I worked out. Check. You know, someone told you that you're a bum if you don't work out. Okay. I went to church. All right. I check. How many of you are doing good so far? Right. I said some prayers. Check. Yes. Good day today. Got an A. All right. I did all those things. Now let's go watch some football. Right. What, what makes your heart come alive? You see, when you're living your life by the law... Christ is just a check in a box. You see? Now that I got through that because I have to, I'm going to move on to what really has my heart. You see the difference between the law and the spirit? You see, there's the difference. To follow God under the law is to withhold your heart from him, your passions from him, your affections, that's what the Puritans called it, your greatest affections from him. To serve God with the Spirit is to be baptized with the Spirit. Your life is filled with the Spirit. No longer are you checking religious boxes and getting on to what captivates you because He is what captivates you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be freed by the Spirit. And friends, that's why the only way to overcome sin is to be filled with the Spirit. The reason we sin is because we're captivated by something else besides God. Our greatest affection is somewhere else. And when God is our greatest affection, sin just falls off us. We don't even have to try to not do it. Amen? That's what happens. And I know that that's... The the reason I can say that with absolute certainty is because that's been the story of my life. When I've tried to beat sin because of the law, I fail. I do it more. Come on, right? But when I love Jesus, I just don't do it. I'm not even thinking about it. Friends, there is no life, no power, and no fruit in that sort of witness. If we're witnessing of the risen Christ as a checkbox in the law, we will fail. We will fail. And the danger of every church and every Christian is to start living on witness as a law. Because you know you have to. The Bible says it. It's a command. Check. <clears throat> workers, Christian workers, before we dare put our hands to the plow in the grand mission of Jesus Christ, make sure that you have waited for the Spirit of God. Because without it, it will just be a law. It'll just be a checkbox. Rehearse, rest, 
number three, release. Verses six through eight. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Release. In the Old Testament, the Lord promised that one day the son of David, a king, the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, would gather Israel to her land and reign over her as king. Now you say, whoa, I'm new to Christianity, what are you talking about? (laughs) Just try to follow this. The Bible promises that God himself will reign over the earth as king. Just keep it simple like that, okay? These guys were saying, when's that going to happen? This is a promise in the Old Testament. And these guys were saying, when's that going to happen? Jesus tells them that the time is unrevealed, that it's in the future, and that in the meantime, you are to live on the mission and commission of Christ himself. In other words, before the king returns, which is our hope, all of us has the hope of the coming king, the coming Christ, but we have business to attend to in the meantime. And here is the bulk of the Christian mission. It matters not if Christ returns in 10 days, 10 years, or 10,000 years. Now, he could occur at any moment, and until he comes, we have a mission. That the expectation of that return should drive us to live on that mission because he could come at any moment. The church would receive power, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, to accomplish that mission. Now, let's read John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit is promised to us by Jesus Christ that when he would leave, he would send someone else. In John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. When you believe in Jesus Christ, friend, the moment that you do it, the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in your soul. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and he is with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither receives him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It is by the spirit in Galatians chapter 5 that the the flesh is conquered. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you see, see what I just said a moment ago, when you believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. When you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, and that sealing is the guarantee that you'll be saved when Christ returns. That you are marked. That you cannot lose the salvation he has provided. The Holy Spirit is a deposit for all who believe in Christ, guaranteeing our salvation, but also equipping us for abundant life now. You see, that's what I was getting at a moment ago. The Spirit is what gives us freedom rather than being bound by the law. So as Jesus would ascend to heaven and receive his kingly crown, he, he would send the Spirit of God to empower the church's mission. The mission we're given is to be his witnesses, that he is at the right hand of God and he rules and reigns, and that all who believe in him would have eternal life. 
the mission empowered by the Holy Spirit is one of heralds, of proclaimer, that you testify of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in your life to a dying world that needs him. And what's our target? What does the scripture say? Who do we go after? Well, it tells us. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You know what that means? Everybody. Everyone on this earth is our mission. Everybody. Now, obviously, we can't be everywhere at once, but that's the point of the universal body of Christ. I can't be in China, but I can be supporting someone in China. I can be sending the gospel out to the Chinese, right? The objective is that through the witness of the local church, the church universal through the local church would expand to the ends of the earth. Our mission and the church's mission must complement the one given to us by Christ himself. And friends, like I said before, you know what mission you're living on by what you're most passionate about. If Christ's mission, if that vision of his kingdom come is not your greatest passion, his mission has become for you a law, an obligation, because you know you're a Christian and you know the right things to say. Oh, would it be our greatest passion as a church in our own hearts from this point to the next? Your instruction, if that's you, if it's become a law for us, our instruction is to wait, to cry out to God, to repent, and to ask for the Holy Spirit, to confess your distraction and wait for the Spirit's life. Now, this doesn't mean you can't be a plumber, and you can't be a lawyer, and you can't get married and have kids. But it does mean that even those pleasures are a means to an end. They are secondary and they are meant to complement the greater mission of your life. You can still work at a job. It's okay. Okay? But you see yourself through the lens of the mission Christ has commissioned you to. The only way a church can truly be obedient to the Great Commission is if our reach is not just local. Okay? This is getting back to what I was saying before. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It, our, passion, our mission should not just be local, our Jerusalem. We need to be good senders. We need to catch and release. In other words, as people come to know Christ, we need to equip them and send them. That's, that's, when I read scripture, that's the only way I see being a, a, a faithful local church. The only way to honor the commission of Christ, again, is to take seriously and hold in high regard the local church. Because as we'll see in the book of Acts, it's the local church that is commissioned, not just the individual Christian. The local church is commissioned to go to the ends of the earth, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is the local church's commission. In 2016, we must wait for the Spirit. We must go out with His power as His witness. So rehearse, rest, release, and finally rely. Rely. Verses 9 through 11. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up. So here Jesus Christ is ascended into heaven, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am coming back quickly. Remember we talked about that last week. Jesus is returning quickly. 
And the age of the church is the age of mission. You see? We're not to simply just wait for his return. We are to wait for his return. But we're to wait for his return while living on his mission. Right? We could all climb a mountain, set up camp, and just look to heaven and say, well, Jesus said, wait for his return. That's what I'm doing. The reason, what, you know what empowers your mission is the expectation of his return. That Christ could come at any moment and separate the sheep from the goats, the church from all unbelieving people, the, the great divide of heaven and hell. The time could end at any moment. We are to live on that mission in anticipation of his coming. The age of the church has a mission that in between the time of Christ's departure and his return, we are to witness to the ends of the earth that he came to save and he is returning soon. Amen? We're not called to sit passively by gazing up into heaven. We're called to carry out the mission in anticipation of his return. Now let me close. Jim, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot were two of the finest missionaries of the 20th century. You guys have ever heard of them? Jim and Elizabeth Elliot? She wrote a book called, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book called Through Gates of Splendor. And she records in this book her own personal book of Acts. It's a wonderful book if you haven't read it. Her personal record of the powerful works of the Holy Spirit through her and the missionaries that she served with. Now she records in this book how her own husband and four other men were murdered by the Aka Indians in South America. This holy crew, they go to South America and they testify and witness to the coming glory of Christ and five of them lost their lives for it. They were witnesses to the ends of the earth and they were murdered for it. And you know, these heroes made the front page of Life magazine after their deaths. Did you know that? Front page of Life magazine. That's not the most incredible and most interesting part of the story either, by the way. This saintly woman and others, after their, their husbands were murdered, go back to the same Aka Indians. Just imagine that. They go back. The most horrifying event of their lives. Their husbands were murdered. And they decide to not live for an earthly city, but a heavenly city. A city without border. A city where Jesus says, come and drink freely, any of you. They go back. These heroes of the faith that no doubt the book of Hebrews speaks about when it says that some are not worthy of this very world. They did a remarkable thing. They returned to Ecuador to minister to the same Indians. She witnessed to them of the resurrected and coming Christ. And you know what happened? They got converted. They didn't listen the first time, but they listened the second time. And they were converted to Jesus Christ. Not only were they converted, but she stayed there and raised her children there. Those converts, those same converts that murdered her husband and others, babysat her kids. Rachel St. Elizabeth Elliot, on one occasion, were all seen together in the same room, in the same church, with those who had murdered their families, worshiping Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the Great Commission, lived out by one who went out not under the obligation of the law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's your deal breaker 
with God. You know, God, if you do this to me, we're done. I'm glad to see that there are people in this life that don't have deal breakers. That God is their Lord and they trust him with everything. And they live on his mission. The book of Acts, the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of the Acts of the Apostles continued with Eliot's story and many others over church history. And that's the difference between law of motivation and spirit and dwelling power. We check our boxes in the law, our duties, and we get on with things, the things that are inspire us. If that's us, we're not going to change anything. God's not going to use us. He'll use the church filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll just be another building of people. But in the Spirit, it's the vision of Christ's kingdom that inspires us. It's his mission that inspires us. And the law, friends, has never inspired that sort of devotion and focus, love, and forgiveness as found in Mrs. Elliot. Friends, what's your vision? What's our vision? What's our mission? If it's not his kingdom come, might I suggest that we're just, like C.S. Lewis said, far too easily pleased. As I consider my life the kind of life I really want to lead, the kind of saints I hope you all are or are becoming, it, would, it, it wouldn't be much different than Mrs. Elliot's life. I guess in that case it's okay to, well, it's simply a life like Paul's, is what I'm trying to say, who's obedient to the heavenly vision. Oh, would you become obedient to the heavenly vision this morning? It's simple, really. Wait for the Spirit, and then witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be his witness, no matter what the consequence. I'm pretty sure that if we did this in this room, the story of the acts of the Holy Spirit would continue on right here in Little Warren, Rhode Island, wouldn't it? So let's wait for the Holy Spirit and let's live on mission. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. God, you are so good to us and we love you and thank you for your great power and blessing. If you don't know Christ this, uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to speak to you for a moment. It's tiring, right? having to check off the never-ending boxes of why you matter or why you don't. You never live up to them. You always fail them. That's the law. Would you come to Christ who bore every sin that you ever committed, who declares you his son with power the moment you believe in him. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, 2,000 years ago, died for your sins, died for your check boxes, so that you could live in freedom. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He accepts you not on the basis of your keeping or failing your laws, but simply on the work that Christ has done for you. Oh, he loves you so much. And you know what? When you believe in him, you have been given the greatest mission that anyone has ever known, to rescue more people. God, we love you. We ask, Lord, that you would re reinvigorate our vision and our passion to live on the mission Christ has commissioned us with. God, we love you and ask that you bless the rest of our day together in Christ's name. Amen.